Everything that we've done at ClimateBase are things that I personally would have benefited from had these things existed when I was first you know, thinking about how do I make climate my career. If you're someone that really cares about the work that the organization is focused on, that's a, a superpower that you can lean into. And for organizations, therefore, it's always better to hire folks that are mission-driven, especially at the earliest stages, right? You don't want you know, mercenaries, you want missionaries. And finding people that really align with your mission is critical. Among Gen Zs that they surveyed for this report, over 60% had already left or are planning on leaving their job due to their concerns around climate change. Hi, Evan. Welcome to Scaling Climate Tech. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, I must confess, I'm a little intimidated by this meeting because when I see you in San Francisco, you're always organizing like really big conferences and we'll talk about them, like the SF Climate Tech Week. So it's great to have you one-on-one -on -one and appreciate you taking the time for the discussion. Yeah, it's fun to do this, and it's not something that I typically have so much time to do, so I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we'll talk about how you keep your days busy, and I'm sure there's a lot. What I want to touch upon in this discussion, Evan, is a few topics. I'd love to talk about the climate talent gap, which is what you guys are addressing at Climate Base, and why this is a massive challenge for the energy and the climate transition. I'd love to talk about the power of communities and the power of software to connect people applied to climate here. And I'd love to talk about your own journey as an entrepreneur, how you've scaled a product to what I believe is 250,000 monthly users. That might have changed, but it, it's, it's an insane number in such a small number of years. I'd really love to get that perspective from you. But before going into all of those topics and deep diving into it more, could I ask you to, to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Evan. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of ClimateBase and yeah, I'm, I'm on the mission to mobilize people to make climate their career and doing so also helping organizations that are working on climate solutions hire the talent that they need to succeed. Fantastic. And can you help me understand climate base, right? Because you have a lot of features or activities you're doing. Just so help me understand what do you do today as a product? Yeah, so climate base is the leading hiring platform in the climate space. And I think that's what you know, most people know us for, but we do a number of other things as well. So we also run a fellowship program. Uh, it is somewhat like a online cohort based course, though we don't use that term, but I can, you know, dive into that and, and tell you more. As you mentioned earlier, we are the lead organizers behind SF Climate Week, which is, I mean, we've only done one year now, but in 2023, it ended up being I think we had just over 7,000 registered attendees across over 115 or 120 events that took place throughout the course of a week, uh, the week leading up to Earth Day here in San Francisco. And so that was like a kind of a newer thing that we decided to tack on to our somewhat <laughs> overwhelming list of things that we do. And we also run a newsletter. Uh, I don't think we do a good enough job talking about that, but we do have now uh, 100,000 subscribers on our newsletter. It goes out twice a week. We cover the latest news in climate as well as the latest job opportunities and other sorts of opportunities for that are relevant to our audience. We work with a number of writers on that. We're just bringing on a new person to the team right now to really take that sort of whole 
operation, but also what we're looking to do on social media kind of to the next level. So Climate Base is, I guess, somewhat multifaceted. And in that sense, you know, we are a brand, I think, really representing uh, and, and trying to broadly support the climate community, but specifically the community of people that are focused, I should say the community of people and organizations that are focused on addressing climate change through their work. Yeah. And thank you for organizing the SF Climate Week. It was uh, a fantastic experience. And I do hope there will be uh, other editions there. What's incredibly impressive with Climate Base is that, you know, everything you've listed, it could be several companies, right? The job hiring is a whole product and activity on its own. The event organization you're talking about, the newsletter, and I think what you're binding all together is essentially the ability to create the communities that live and breathe this product. Let me go back in time, right? Before you have, uh, you know, this hundred of thousands of, of users and, and readers of newsletter. Let me go back in time to really when you started this. Mm -hmm. You, and we're chatting about this just before, right? You don't necessarily have a climate background, but you do have a background around creating communities and working for education organization. So can you tell me a bit more about how you got into this challenge of the talent gap in climate and the origin story of, of Climate Base? Yeah. So Climate Base officially launched as a website in 2020. So we're actually just over three years old. In July, we crossed our three-year anniversary since we launched. But the story got started a little bit before that. I So giving a little bit of background on myself, which I think could help for context here. I actually went to school originally for it was supposed to be a double major in marine biology and fine art, which is a bit of an odd combination, I suppose, as one does when you graduate with student debt and like, you know, like experience as an art major. And I say, of course, sarcastically, I ended up working at Oracle, the big tech company, and I was doing enterprise software sales there. Really didn't like my experience there. And after two years, I figured out how to sort of navigate and break into the startup world. And so I joined this education company that had just graduated Y Combinator at the time. So I was a very early employee at this company called Make School, and we were doing cohort-based courses. They were actually in-person uh, originally, and, and we were doing that for you know, folks who wanted to become software engineers. So sort of like a boot camp, but a little bit different. Anyway, I really loved that experience so much. And over the course of those three years, I helped, you know, gosh, probably over a thousand people come through our programs, folks that I recruited personally at hackathons and other sorts of events. And it was very fulfilling watching folks that watching these, you know, young professionals develop these skills and then get jobs. And so I knew that whatever I wanted to do next, I kind of felt like I wanted to figure out a way of leveraging that experience. I had, I found myself in a position where I finally paid off my student loans and, you know, I had kind of a, you're only 27 once moment. So I decided to take off some time, travel. Basically, I gave myself the opportunity to really reflect on what do I care about and what do I want to do next? And I hadn't really ever had that moment to really do that and really take that time to reflect. And I just couldn't think of anything more important to focus on than climate change. But I wasn't someone that had a climate background professionally. And, you know, and at this time, when I first started looking into the idea of working in climate, it was like early 2019. One of the earliest things I remember is that it was overwhelming to even feel like I was knowledgeable enough to have the confidence to like even know where to begin looking for jobs. I also, of course, realized very early on that it was very hard to even identify climate jobs because on, you know, on LinkedIn and other platforms, climate isn't like a, a filter, right? Because climate isn't a sector. It's also not something that's like very easily keyword searchable. 
because it's not a functional role type. And we actually have the data here at ClimateBase, of course, now, and I can tell you, you know, like less than 0.1% of all jobs in climate have the keyword climate in the title. So the keyword searchability doesn't work very well. And I just found myself in this position as a, you know, as a climate job seeker in early 2019, where it was hard to find jobs. It was hard to kind of self-educate because there's so much to learn about and the landscape is constantly shifting. And I also found it really hard to build community for myself. I didn't really know people who were working in climate. The people who I did know working in the space were working at nonprofits, some, you know, somewhere in graduate school, you know, some folks were in kind of like the activism advocacy world. I just found like, wow, this is like, I can't be the only person who's experiencing this challenge. And I was inspired to first fix this problem for myself. And then I was thinking, okay, well, if I can figure out a way of solving this for myself, maybe there's others out there that I can solve this challenge for. And, and how cool would that be to help people get jobs in climate? But we didn't like decide that we wanted to just launch a platform all at once. We first started off with a career fair. That was me and my brother, who's one of my co-founders, Jesse, uh, and also Julian, who actually still works with us. He is a writer. He's a journalist, climate journalist, and he writes our newsletter, our weekly column, This Week in Climate. And so the three of us, keep in mind, this is a, a year before we launched ClimateBase as a platform. So we really didn't have any clear set plans on like becoming a startup. We weren't even really sure if we ever wanted to do a website. But what we did know is that we all, I mean, me and Jesse particularly, we really wanted to work in this space. And we figured, okay, if we organize a job fair, that means inevitably that, you know, we're going to be able to kind of build personal connections with the organizations, the companies, the employers that we're inviting to it. And wouldn't that be a nice way to kind of make ourselves stand out actually as applicants, mm. right? That wasn't a product, right? That was just you trying to fill it, something you couldn't find in the market, right? If there was a job fair already existing, you would have just gone there. Correct. Yes. And also no one had done a climate job fair ever before. We had Googled extensively and just to make sure that when we, you know, claimed that we weren't just blowing smoke, but it is really true. No one had ever done a climate job fair, which as a side note, you know, it was both awesome that we had that opportunity to make that happen, but also, you know, at a higher level, I would say deeply concerning that it took until 2019 for anyone to organize a job fair with climate as a focus, yeah. right? So, but nonetheless, we were really excited and really inspired to do that. And I guess we did it because we wanted to be able to test the idea of what would eventually become climate base. And did you have a, you know, a vision for the company in this state? Or is it just like, you know, we'll do a fair and see the traction, talk to the right people in the industry and take it from there? Or did you already have this idea, you know, of building the hiring platform and so on? How confident were you in the, the business opportunity and the vision essentially at this stage? Yeah, it's funny. We had actually white labeled a job board at the time, and our plan was to actually use that in parallel with the event. Unfortunately, we couldn't, you know, kind of get our everything in place to be able to make that a good product for people to use during the event. So like, yes, kind of. Me and Jesse are both non-technical. We were just like white labeling some cheap job board software. And we decided actually like to not promote it really following that event because we, quite frankly, we didn't feel like that was a a worthwhile thing to do immediately. You know, we didn't want to like put out a bad product into the world so quickly, which actually kind of goes against what I would typically advise founders to do. Like I would actually advise them to put out a bad product as a starting point 
Yeah. So the idea of climate-based, what had been formulating for sure, like there was a vision for it and it wasn't super like crystallized at the time, though it, it was a job board at its core. But again, like there was no immediate plans because, you know, Jesse and I were brothers. Our parents are not like tech elite. <laughs> we weren't in a position financially to be able to just like fully commit all at once to just starting a company. So it was very iterative, like the way it all kind of happened. And the job fair for us was like a really critical moment because, you know, we were expecting like 200 people to show up that day. We had convinced about, what was it, like about 15 organizations to participate, a really interesting mix of some deep tech companies, some of which, you know, have gone on to like become really big players in the space, like, like 12, for example, originally called at the time Opus 12. You know, they were involved, a handful of, of nonprofits. We convinced uh, Crystal Chiselle from Project Drawdown to attend and, and speak at that and kind of deliver a keynote to set the stage for everyone, which we were very excited about. And, you know, gosh, I'm, there's so many parts of this story that I'm leaving out. I mean, I'll come back to the Drawdown thing because that is an important part in kind of like the evolution of the idea around climate base. But basically, we were hoping that maybe 200 people would show up and then to our very pleasant surprise you know, over 600 people showed up that day. And it was like the best problem to that we could have hoped for. It was great that so many people showed up. And, you know, for us, it was a clear signal that there was demand. I think for the attendees, they might have said it was a little tightly crammed. But, you know, we literally just used an, a Facebook event to advertise it. So we were pretty excited when the place was like totally packed. There was a line outside the room where we were hosting it in. There was a line outside the building that led to that room. The fire marshal was like notified that we were exceeding the code capacity at one point. So, you know, again, good problems to have for a first time event organizer. And for us, again, it was this kind of light bulb moment like, OK, well, if there's 600 people here at this event in San Francisco, including people, by the way, that drove up from San Diego to attend this event and people that drove down from Oregon to attend the event. So we're talking like people migrating to attend a six hour long job fair. So that was a very big signal. We're like, okay, people, we don't even have like a, an organization really behind this. It's just us three. And look at the demand that we're already seeing. I think if people show up in person for something, it's a clear signal that they'll perhaps show up to a website too. Yeah, that confirmed essentially that, you know, you were not the only one to have this challenge of, you know, finding the right networking climate and finding the right opportunities. So after that belief anchored, how did you take that to the next level or you mentioned you had this you know wide label job board you're more confident that you know this need is shared at least by 600 people and, and given the motivation around the event probably way more do you take a pause to think of what does the vision and the product look like do you try to roll out the recruiting event throughout the us like help me understand your thought process back then so we initially after that event we were thinking okay well maybe we'll be like an events company to some degree, and then we'll kind of like use these events to onboard people to like a job board basically, which by the way, probably not a good strategy. There's better and easier ways of getting people to use a website than organizing events, <laughs> of course. That was our thinking at the time. And we did keep that job board alive that we didn't like promote it externally very much. We, we did share it among a few like sort of burgeoning climate slack communities that were popping up at the time. You know, I was a very early member of like, you know, quite a few of the climate slack groups that you're probably familiar with. But, you know, so we were like sharing out this as a resource in there. And that was a nice way of getting some early feedback from kind of like a closed community of people that were very much focused on this. So like our kind of like our core target 
users, but like a very small group of them. And that was nice because we were able to get some early feedback. We were able to kind of begin conversations with employers. You know, we, we actually just like allowed employers to post jobs for free on that the second we put it out. And actually, we kept it free for almost two years, even after we launched publicly. But I think for us, we didn't want to really go public with something that we felt like was a... And again, like, I don't think this is the right strategy for founders, quite frankly. You know, I, I believe in just, you know, shipping and iterating and shipping more and iterating more. And so, but I don't know why. I just, I think the fear of putting something out there that isn't like really good kind of held us up from that a little bit. So we probably could have launched earlier, but you know, we also needed a technical co-founder and we were kind of worried about putting something out there and not having the ability of iterating on it rapidly. And so after we did the event, you know, we definitely had folks that were asking us like, what are your plans? And I was talking to my friends and trying to figure out, you know, who wants to work with us as our technical co-founder. And my friend, Justin, who I met through my work at Make School uh, years before, someone that I had become friends with, you know, Justin and I even did a, a little traveling when I took some time off together. And he's someone who, I mean, Justin's incredible. He's our CTO and technical co-founder at Climate Base, Justin Harden. I met him because I was organizing a weekend-long VR development workshop as part of my work at Make School. He was someone who showed up for that to participate in it. And, I, and we bonded first over the fact that there was a lot of like free food that was provided at that event. And we were like the only two people who were really taking advantage of it. You would have seen me there if I was at this event as well. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we were like bonding over that. And, and then I just was, you know, asking him about his background. And I was impressed to learn that Justin was someone who, you know, basically, you know, graduated high school and then decided that he's going to forego college entirely and just teach himself how to code. He didn't even do a boot camp. And, you know, like still to this day, Justin reads textbooks on computer science theory, right? I mean, this is a guy who I'm sure he would agree, like Justin's a nerd. I mean, we all are, you know, nerds, but I was so impressed with his just ability to like literally teach himself how to code, you know, watching videos, uh, you know, spending lots of time on Stack Overflow and working on projects. And I was like, wow, this is the kind of guy that I would probably want to start a company with. And at the time, you know, he was working at Slack as a senior full stack engineer there. And, you know, he was probably like many years younger than his peers because he had just accelerated his own career so hmm. rapidly by just skipping college entirely and teaching himself how to code. And I was just like, wow, this is so impressive. And he noticed that, you know, we had put on this cool event. I was hanging out at his place in Oakland, California. And I was like, hey, you know, we're I think there's a real opportunity here. And I kind of laid out the vision and he was really excited about that. And so we got him on board, you know, built some very rudimentary like landing pages and, and other things for the website. And we launched Climate Base in, uh, what was that, July 2020, I believe. And that's also when we incorporated. And so that's really when I feel like the Climate Base journey began is when we put ourselves out there in a pretty public way with the website on Product Hunt. And I think that day we ended up being like the fifth or sixth most liked product of the day on Product Hunt. So we were very pleased with that feedback as well. Fantastic. How long did it take you to build the product, you said, from that career fair to actually like launching on, on Product Hunt? Honestly, like, I mean, it was almost like an entire year, I, I want to say, between the job fair and then. But again, it wasn't like us working on Climate Base the whole time. It was like us going back and forth on like, is this something we really want to pursue as a company or not? So, you know, during this time, Jesse and I were also working other jobs. 
uh, you know, there was a period of time where Jesse was applying to other jobs. And, you know, the, the plan was that he was basically going to use this as a resume builder and then go get a, you know, quote unquote, real job. And for me, too, I was even considering that I was applying to other jobs at climate organizations because I, I wasn't really fully convinced that this is something that w we would have the capacity to pursue. So what convinced you then? Because the fair convinced you that there is, you know, there's a community around this. But what convinced you that there is a model for the hiring platform, right? And that this is not something that, I don't know, Indeed or LinkedIn will win. Like what made you do the switch basically? I think it was when Justin, you know, signaled or, you know, signaled. When, it was when Justin said that he wanted to be our co-founder on this because, you know, this is a, a platform product and we were using a white labeled job board, which is fine when you're like a non-technical founder, but, you know, that doesn't really scale very well and you can't like do, I mean, you know, it's not your own product and you do need to ultimately build your own product. So when Justin said that he was down to do this, that was when, you know, I think me and Jesse felt really compelled where we're like, okay, now we actually have the pieces to this founding team that we need to be able to move forward. And little short uh, promo for Climate Base. It's, it's really enjoyable to go through the product. It's incredibly clean. I mean, that's the goal of the product. You want to discover organizations. You know, you have that summary. It's very well categorized by different industries. And it's so, yeah, it's done a terrific job here at the classification and the way you present the information to discover it. Well, I appreciate that. But let me just say, I am not at all. I'm very proud of what we've been able to build. But just from like a front end sort of UX perspective, we have such a long ways to go. And we're actually about to go, we're about to kind of update the website in a number of really big ways. So I appreciate you saying that. And uh, you can look forward to a better experience uh, in the very near future. Looking forward to that. Let me go on a different track, Evan. At We've talked about the journey of the company so far, and we'll keep going because that, that was really just the inception. I'd love to deep dive a bit more on the challenge you're solving, the talent gap in the climate space. And, you know, that career fair that you did proved that there is this talent gap. And we know, you know, different reports, different numbers flying around on the size of that gap. Could you help me understand, you know, one, the magnitude of the challenge in front of us? And also, how does that play across different job categories? I'm mostly thinking, you know, white collar versus blue collar. I think there's different needs in the market, but would love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah. So there's two challenges that we're tackling. One is for employers and the other is for job seekers. And, and they both experience unique challenges specific to climate. So I kind of touched on the first one earlier, which is around basically for climate job seekers, it's really hard to find climate jobs on generic job platforms. And again, it goes back to the fact that climate is not a single industry or sector. It's more of a lens through which you can view all of these different sectors and different industries, right? There's fintech companies that are climate companies. There are, you know, VCs that are climate companies. There are biotech companies that are climate companies. There are nonprofits that are climate organizations. And, you know, I mean, the list goes on, right? It's transportation, it's energy, it's, it's, you know, it's food and agriculture, it's buildings, it's carbon removal, it's nature-based solutions. The whole economy. It's the whole economy looked at through a very specific filter, right? And that filter is for climate solutions. So that makes it hard to find jobs on generic job platforms like LinkedIn and others. And that challenge affects both sides of the hiring marketplace, right? So for job seekers, it's hard, but also this affects employers. You know, climate organizations have a really hard time attracting talent. I wanna say 
also that hiring is in general a very hard thing to do. Most startups will list hiring as, you know, oftentimes their number one pain point and climate is no different, except that if you are a climate organization, again, you're, I think the biggest challenge is that there's all these mission driven job seekers out there that would love to find those opportunities, like identify those opportunities and apply to those jobs, but they just historically hadn't been an easy task for these climate job seekers to be able to do so. So, you know, and I, I can dig into some of the data as well. The time to hire for organizations in this space is, you know, significantly higher than what you typically see for those kinds of roles at non-climate organizations. So looking more generally at kind of the, like the tech job landscape, right? So, and there's a variety of factors I'm sure there. I think also, you know, climate organizations are oftentimes hiring for roles that are, uh, especially at the earliest stage of these organizations, you know, sometimes they're hiring for fairly specialized roles. Yeah. I'm just wondering, is that a challenge of, you know, connecting the right people within this organization with the right job seekers, or is it a challenge that, you know, there is not enough talent for those jobs, which might be new jobs, right? What, what is the bottleneck on this? So first I want to point out that I feel like there's, there has been a bit of a misconception around climate jobs. I think people think that a climate job requires people to have like a background in climate and don't get me wrong. That always helps. You know, having a high degree of climate literacy even helps just understand where you as an individual, as a job seeker, might want to fit into this very broad landscape. And also being able to kind of look at a company, uh, you know, an employer that you're thinking about applying to for one of their roles and discerning whether that organization is doing, you know, really impactful work or if it's, you know, perhaps a little questionable. So having a background in this is valuable. And it's also valuable to these organizations too, if you are familiar with what they're focused on. Like, you know, so outside of your functional skill sets, you'd say you're a software engineer, for example, if you also are already pretty familiar with, say, you know, carbon accounting basics, that'll make you a stronger candidate but the misconception is that this is like a requirement that you need to go to grad school or undergrad and have a degree and an educational background in climate science to work in this space. And that's just not true. And I think over the past three years, we've done a really good job of sort of educating people who use climate base to help them understand that, again, while that certainly helps, it's not a requirement for many of the jobs in this space. Most climate jobs are the same kind of jobs that you would see at any organization. You know, every climate organization needs people, well, not, I mean, you know, I, I shouldn't say every org, but looking broadly across the landscape, you know, huge demand for non-technical roles in sales and operations and marketing, huge demand in for software engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, huge demand for designers, lawyers, people on HR, recruiters. So there is truly a role for everyone to play in this space. And that means that there isn't, getting back to your question, that means that there isn't really a talent shortage for most jobs in climate. There is actually a real talent shortage when we look at the skilled labor roles in this space. So the roles that are, you know, that we really need to fill that are required in for electrifying a lot of sectors. In the United States, at least, we have a shortage of skilled laborers, you know, these sort of like green collar type of jobs. And that is a topic that has gotten quite a bit of attention, I think, over the past couple of years you know, especially with the IRA, there is already a huge amount of growth in roles 
such as like, we need more electricians, we need more HVAC installers, you know, we need more technicians of various kinds. And there is actually a talent shortage in terms of those skilled labor roles, but that doesn't constitute the majority of, of what climate jobs are. And when we look at, you know, I mean, how you define a climate job is somewhat subjective, depending on what you include in that. I've seen reports from International Labor Organization, you know, that said that there are you know, over 10 million green jobs. And this is a stat from a few years back. I've seen other reports saying that there's over 23 million people working in green jobs or climate jobs. You know, both of those reports had their own ways of sort of defining what that is. And I don't think either of them were comprehensive enough to really get at the full picture. But that means that we know there are millions of people already working in these roles. Typically, you know, a company is spending around $5,000 is, you know, that's the associated cost of hiring someone, the full cost of hiring. So that's posting jobs, potentially, you know, paying for a recruiter, the time it takes to screen applicants, other tools and services that, you know, you might use to attract applicants and screen those applicants, interview those applicants. It's an expensive problem. And if you, you know, okay, there's 10 million people right now working in climate jobs. If you figure there's 20% churn rate, as in, you know, 20% of employees in this space are switching jobs or leaving their jobs every year, that's a very large market opportunity. Uh, you can do the math on that, you know, 10 million times 0.2 times 5,000. And, th and that is like kind of the higher level sort of market size that you could point to. And it's a fast growing market size as well, probably. It's a super fast growing market size. And yeah, absolutely. But like, I want to kind of contextualize this, which is like, this is time and money that organizations that are focused on addressing climate change have to spend on hiring people. And that shouldn't be the case, right? Like our goal is to decrease the cost and friction and time that goes into hiring great, super talented mission-driven talent, because these organizations should be, you know, we, we want these organizations focused on addressing climate change as much as possible and spending as little time and as little money, ideally, on hiring. And if we can solve that challenge, then that represents, you know, a big bottleneck that's being unblocked. That's really our goal. So that's like the big picture problem, you know, because if these organizations can't hire the people that they need in a, you know, without spending gratuitous time and energy and money on it, you know, then that doesn't paint a very optimistic picture for how we're going to be able to scale climate solutions. That's where climate base comes in. And I just want to reemphasize the point you made earlier, right on. Most of the climate jobs actually do not require a degree in climate. And I think that's incredibly important that when you're talking about this white collar job, like if you're working, if you're looking for somebody in marketing or an engineer working for, you know, let's say green fintech, or a carbon accounting startup, you don't need an atmospheric science degree, right? You need to be the best marketing person or the best engineer. And as you say, right, having that understanding of the climate challenge will help you to know if you actually want to work for a carbon accounting startup or for a heat pump startup or company. But it's really the core functional experience that you have. And that's a different picture for the skill labor, where, as you said, like these are specialized skills for a given industry, which is very specific to, you know, heat pumps, batteries, or, or whatever green infrastructure we're, we're building. On the point of the value that climate base brings and, you know, the frictions of recruiters, is the value proposition then for climate base to hire faster the best talent? Is that how you're positioning this for on the supply side for employers? 
I think like depending on the employer, the challenge might be that they just don't get enough applicants, period, or that they get too many applicants that either they're cooking like quick apply on LinkedIn, right? Because they see that it's a, you know, a, a marketing job and they're a marketer and they don't even care about what the organization's doing. They're not really applying because they're interested. They're applying because they desperately need a job and they're just rapid, you know, they're just kind of spraying applications out there. So there's a lot of noise, I think. I mean, this is, so basically the two biggest pain points that we hear from employers in this space is that other hiring platforms are filled with too much noise. And then, you know, for other orgs, the big pain point we hear is they just don't get enough applicants, period. You know, at ClimateBase, because we've built a brand of that is entirely focused on climate, that means that the people that are using ClimateBase are inherently mission-driven. And what's interesting too is, you know, the kind of talent that is mission-driven and wants to work in climate oftentimes tends to be extremely talented people. You know, in our fellowship program, for example, where, you know, we review every single applicant, right? You know, there was a period of time where I was interviewing live, individually, every single person that we were considering for the program. And, you know, the kind of people that apply to our fellowship and the same kind of people that are, you know, using climate base and applying to jobs, they're oftentimes people who have already developed really impressive careers. You know, oftentimes they're folks that are, you know, folks that are, you know, PhDs and they're looking to move out of academia and into industry where their skills are and their experience and, and their research is actually super relevant and in high demand. Oftentimes it can also be folks who have developed really impressive backgrounds in areas of tech that are not focused on climate. And now they're, you know, they maybe they've even made their money and now they're looking to, you know, make climate the next chapter of their career because they're looking for a, a deeper sense of purpose and fulfillment and impact through their work instead of just, you know, building Tinder for dogs or whatever. And then, you know, there's also a bunch of folks who just come from all, I mean, a huge range of backgrounds as well that are mission driven. And the other thing is like mission driven talent is just almost always going to be uh, a better hire. You know, if, if you're someone that really cares about the work that the organization is focused on, that's a, a superpower that you can lean into. And for organizations, therefore, it's always better to hire folks that are mission driven, especially at the earliest stages, right? You don't want, you know, mercenaries, you want missionaries and finding people that really align with your mission is critical. So the, the quality of talent, I would say on climate base is objectively higher. And, and that's why I think there's organizations that are still hiring on climate base three years after they joined our platform, because they've had so many wonderful people uh, join their team that we've been able to introduce them to. You've mentioned the fellowship which goes beyond what we've been talking about around the pure hiring platform and is more moving into the education piece, right? So how do you think of what you should do and should not do at climate base, right? Because you have a very flexible product and a very flexible offering. So you obviously have the hiring parts, you have the education, you could, you know, you have a newsletter, you could do podcast, like where do you stop in terms of product offering and how do you think about that? There's an expression I've heard, of course, many times, which is, you know, kind of do one thing really well. I think that if you do one thing really well, it opens you up to opportunities to do other things really well, too. And uh, if there's synergy between those other things and that core thing that you're doing really well, then it may make sense to layer that on uh, to what you're doing. The fellowship is our climate career accelerator that we run at Climate Base. And it is definitely, I mean, it could be its own company. 
because it is not literally part of our core product. It is a educational experience. It's a cohort community oriented, you know, program that is, you know, kind of separate from the, the hiring platform in some ways. Right. And I remember when we first were considering doing it and we were kind of, you know, I mean, basically like with my background doing similar types of things, but not focused on climate, right. In my experience at make school kind of in the boot camp space for three years, running cohort-based educational programs and experiences, courses, right? I definitely saw that there could be an opportunity to take some of my experience in, in the education realm and community realm and bring it over to the climate space. But we didn't launch it without knowing that there was a really strong demand for it. So the way that we kind of tested this was we basically created a landing page for the fellowship and we announced it to our newsletter audience at the time which at the time I think was about 10,000 people. And, and today it's about 10 X that. And so we basically said, Hey, we're launching what we're calling the client-based fellowship. It is a career accelerator for, you know, the most talented mission driven people in our community who want to learn, who want to connect, who want to work on projects. And we put that out there. And within the first six days, we had over a thousand applications and, you know, we even saw it on our website traffic that there was like a whole bunch of people coming to the website that we had never seen before. We knew that people were sharing the, this when they heard about it with their contacts mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, when you get over a thousand people applying to a program that does have a price tag on it within a matter of days, that's a very strong signal that there's a real opportunity there after, you know, and we actually constructed the application to really tell to inform us how we should develop the program. You know, we knew that we needed a curriculum. So we designed the application to basically find out, okay, well, what topics should we cover? So, you know, the application was like, what topics are you interested in learning about? You know, we put on our design thinking hat and let our users really tell us what they're looking for. So then we basically spent the next year getting ready to launch our first cohort. So, you know, in that time we kept the page up, you know, people continue to apply. And then uh, in that time, we found some folks that would be great instructors and we had them begin working on a whole, you know, curriculum and developing, you know, slides and, you know, the, basically all the, all the critical pieces that we needed to pull this off. I actually recruited one of my former colleagues from Make School to help us with the program. And then a year after we kind of, you know, put out that initial landing page and application form, we launched the first cohort. And that's been an incredible program. It's the kind of program that honestly I wish existed for me. And, you know, now that I'm saying this out loud, in, in many ways, everything that we've done at Climate Base are things that I personally would have benefited from had these things existed when I was first, you know, thinking about how do I make climate my career? You know, I needed a, a better way of building my professional connections because I had none. I needed a better way of finding jobs because LinkedIn wasn't working for me <laughs> and I needed to learn. What's awesome too is like, I'm still very involved in the fellowship program. I still, you know, will facilitate guest speakers sometimes when we have them and I always learn and, and there's just so much to learn, right? So it, it's been a really valuable program. Yeah, that's the beauty of climate, right? There's so many facets to it, as you mentioned earlier, like you'll always learn something in a different industry. Yeah, and, and the landscape is always shifting too, right? It's not just like all the established stuff which is a huge amount to learn. And I've never met anyone who's a bona fide expert in everything in climate. And most, you know, climate experts will tell you also that they have their area of expertise, but they're certainly not experts across everything, right? So there's like an endless amount of really awesome stuff to learn about. And also there's always new stuff as well 
entering the landscape, you know, new technological breakthroughs, new policies being rolled out, new stories being uncovered. And that's what makes, I think, the educational component of not only what we do in the fellowship at ClientBase, but also just more broadly for people who are interested in this space, you know, there's just an endless amount of amazing, interesting content to familiarize yourself with. Yeah, all of those spaces are moving so fast. And we're talking about batteries right before you just look at batteries, keeping up with the, the pace of progress in that specific sector is already a, a full time job, I think. Yeah. And right now, you know, just in the past couple of weeks, right, there's all this interesting potential breakthrough conversations happening around uh, superconductors, too. Right. That alone would radically change this entire space, you know, and then think about some of the, I mean, none of them have been true breakthroughs yet, but you look at sort of some stuff happening in nuclear energy, and there's a lot to keep up with. You know, e even just the policies are, I think, a hard for people to really wrap their heads around. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, I think that could be a product. Maybe it exists, but, you know, there are a lot of new sites and so on, but very high quality way of keeping track with a certain technology or a certain field and policies. I, I think that would be valuable in the, in the climate space. You know, it's funny you say that because maybe I'll regret sharing this on the podcast, but that's actually something that's been sitting on the back burner on our product roadmap for quite some time is, you know, looking to build kind of like a, you know, tech meme. I don't know if you're familiar with that site. It's kind of like an old school site, but I, I think it's still very popular among those who know about it. But, you know, kind of like a the homepage, if you will, for what's happening in the climate space. And, and that doesn't really exist at all right now. You know, you kind of have to piece together your own understanding of what happened today in the climate world by looking across a whole bunch of different media sites, some of which are focused on climate solely. Some are, you know, more generic media sites that will talk about climate developments. And, you know, I think we basically just deprioritize that product because kind of getting back to what you were saying earlier, you know, what is climate-based and where do we draw the line on, you know, new things? I think for us, that piece, though, it's something we want to do. You know, it's all about sequencing things in the right order. For sure. It's the right order of priority. And I think the challenge is of making sure, you know, you have a personalized enough experience, like you actually care about hydrogen and agriculture and getting those right topics. Well, look, you have a few weeks before the, the podcast is published to, <laughs> to release and finalize that product. <laughs> if only, I mean, we're right now, as I speak, we are only two full-time engineers and, and that includes my technical co-founder, Justin. So it's Yasin and Justin. I mean, they're the only two people full-time working on the engineering side at Climate Basin. And that's been a bottleneck for us in terms of how quickly we're able to move. But, you know, we also don't want to be the kind of startup that, you know, raises too much money, you know, hires too many people, uh, has too high of a valuation, and then, you know, kind of sets ourselves up for maybe not the greatest outcome. So for us, it's been really important to, you know, really stay very, very focused on our core value prop, which is, you know, building the best climate jobs platform, climate hiring platform, right? And not getting too distracted, but while also recognizing, again, that there are synergistic opportunities that relate very closely to that sort of North Star that we have around jobs. And the fellowship is one of them. Definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting to mention, you know, keeping, you know, the both the number of people that you have within the company and, and the amount of funding that you're raising to something quite conservative. So maybe let's go back in time, right? We stopped in 2020 when you had a product, a hiring platform that you launched. Help me understand, like, how did you grow that platform, right? From the moment you actually have the technical product available, you validated there is some form of demand with the job fair. Like, how do you 
move from this in 2020 to 250,000 active monthly users to in 2023, so barely three years later. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, just word of mouth. I mean, that's it. You know, we literally have never done any targeted ads of any kind. We've never done any real marketing beyond just a newsletter. And we don't even market the newsletter. I mean, we should be, right? And actually, we just hired someone to join our team, or at least just sent out a job offer. So, you know, figuring out the pieces there right now. But, you know, presumably, this will be our first full-time person who's really focused on building our audience and user base proactively. So, you know, we put, we launched on Product Hunt in 2020. That was like right in the middle of the pandemic. It was peak lockdown, you know, like actually it was not just lockdowns and COVID that were happening at that time, but like a week after we launched was when the sky turned orange in San Francisco. And I think many people will remember that because it, it made a lot of headlines. And I think that our timing in general, I think has been really strong. You know, we launched at a moment when a lot of people were questioning you know, not just like, not just questioning their own kind of lives. And I don't know how to succinctly say it, but I, I guess like COVID, you know, I think brought into question kind of an existential feeling for people. And I think we saw that the great reset, I think is now the kind of the term that we've all gravitated towards, but the great reset, I think was a critical moment for us because we saw a lot of people kind of reflecting on their lives. And what do they really want to do with it? Because when a pandemic hits and we're all in lockdown and there's a huge degree of uncertainty, it, it can make, I think for some people, it, you know, it kind of puts things in perspective. It's like, wow, life is very unpredictable and crazy things can happen. And I think climate is, for those who are already concerned about climate change too, it was, I think, a big call to action for people uh, at that time. Because it's like, if you're miserable in your job, COVID was maybe a reminder that, you know, there's other things that you could consider doing with your time in our very short lives. And that, you know, meanwhile, the planet's on fire and perhaps there's, you know, perhaps there's an opportunity to, you know, align your work with your values. And, and so we launched at a time, I think, when people were ripe for what we had to offer. So, you know, that's, I guess, kind of like some of my thinking around why our timing was good there. But the short answer is really just like word of mouth, you know, people that, use client base I mean, when i meet people out in the wild right and i mean it's funny now now it happens all the time like I'll, I'll be in like you know san diego on a little road trip with my partner you know and i'll be meeting some random person like out at a bar restaurant or whatever and you know it, it happens where people are like oh i know what climate base is i use climate base and, and the most common thing i hear from people that i meet in in the real world who know what climate base is they say i mean the two most common things i hear are oh my gosh, I love climate base. I use it all the time. And they oftentimes also say, oh, I've told so many people about climate base. And so I think just putting, you know, YC, Y Combinator, they have an expression, you know, build something people want. And I think we've been able to do that. So I want to know more of your secrets to build a community, Evan. <laughs> I think that timing was definitely critical. As far as you're comfortable, can you share that growth trajectory? I want to understand you know, how much of it, as you say, is because there was a strong start and, you know, in 2020 specifically, you had a pretty unique product with not a lot of competition. So as you say, once you understand what climate base does, you talk about it to a lot of people. I just like to understand how do you get to 250,000 monthly activity? Like what is the trajectory to get there? 
especially when you say that there is no, you know, there is no paid acquisition behind that. It's really about organic growth. Well, I think it's important perhaps to distinguish between the difference of building a community and building an audience or a user base, because they're, I think they're pretty different. You know, I like to think of our users on climate base as part of our community. I think from a kind of a mission perspective, it feels like we have a community, right? Because everyone is part of, the, you know, everyone's mission aligned, right? We're all working towards the same goal of, you know, as Chris Saka would say, unfucking the planet. And, and that makes it feel like a community for us, but it isn't actually a community in the sense that like a, a real community is where users would actually be communicating with each other too. So we have our like audience and our user base, but then we also actually do have our real community, which is in the fellowship program. I mean, you know, I, I can answer the question in terms of like best practices around building a strong community, and I'll be speaking to what we do in the fellowship, but I can also speak to, I think what you're actually getting at, which is around how do we build a user base organically, or, or how do you build an audience organically? And for us, you know, on that side of the question, yeah, it's, again, it's been really just word of mouth growth. So, you know, that organic growth is because we just put out something into the world that actually solved a real challenge for people. But with that audience, you know, that's what's enabled us to create an amazing community within our fellowship program, because that audience is basically a funnel for us, right? They come to ClientBase looking for jobs, and then they discover this thing called the ClientBase Fellowship, and that, you know, drives interest that way, right? And then, you know, of the thousands of people who apply to every cohort, you know, we are selecting folks that are not only impressive in terms of their skills and backgrounds and other qualities that we look for, but also their desire to be contributors to that community. And, uh, you know, a required question that we have at multiple stages, actually, of the application process is that question, like, how do you envision yourself being an active contributor to the community? So when it comes to community, I think what's really important is to, you know, you want to build a core community of people that are not passive consumers, but rather active contributors. And I think that starting off with a core community of people that do that has a multiplying effect as you look to grow that community. Okay. Yes, it's really the ability of climate base to be so viral because it serves a pretty unique need. How many people are you at climate base today to serve this huge user base? Yeah, so right now we're seven people. And actually just a few months ago, we were five full-time people. We do work with a whole bunch of wonderful people that we contract with. I shouldn't say a whole bunch. You know, our instructors in our fellowship program, they're not full-time on our team. They actually have their own company. They're a consultancy. But we found the leanest way to get the kind of curriculum element built out and actually have a, you know, a really strong educational component to the program was to not hire internally and rather just contract out with folks that do this professionally already. Uh, and then we also work with, you know, some part-time contractors. You know, we have a handful of part-time writers that we work with and we're actually hiring up pretty rapidly on that side right now. So looking for more part-time writers and, you know, we work with like a part-time, you know, contractor on design right now. So we don't even have a full-time designer, which we also need to hire for soon as well, I would say. And we might just, you know, but it's fascinating that, you know, seven person able to, to achieve this level of scale, right? I insist on this because this is podcast called Scale and Climate Tech. This is something I'm very interested in on, like, how do you scale the business? And the ability to keep that headcount very lean is definitely a critical piece of your business. Are you seeing that change in the future where, you know, you move from, I don't know, a million to a million user base? Like, what doesn't scale in your business, essentially? Yeah, what doesn't scale? Well, I mean, 
first of all, I'll just mention that, you know, it was until recently, we were only five people full time. And so it was even smaller than seven. By the end of this year, we're going to be around 10, maybe a little over 10 full time folks on the team. And so, you know, we are actively right, literally right now we are, you know, hiring for, you know, a few full time roles and we'll be hiring for more roles. But the, the reason I would say is first and foremost, because we weren't afforded the luxury of hiring a whole bunch of people right off the bat. You know, I, I remember when I first got into this space, like I think many first time founders, you know, you start pitching way too early. <laughs> so I was out there pitching climate jobs and we had like almost nothing to show for it. You know, it was literally just ideas because I, I thought in order to make this all work, I'm going to have to have money. And I think for many companies, especially climate companies, you know, particularly those that are focused on, you know, deep tech and, and hardware, you do need some significant upfront capital to be able to even just build an MVP, right? For us, it was, you know, that wasn't really a requirement. I mean, a hiring platform like a job board is not rocket science. So we were able to, you know, even just white label something in the beginning until we brought Justin on as our technical co-founder. And it is, you know, what we have is actually very scalable. You know, the core product is, is super scalable. It's a marketplace, essentially. You know, employers pay, they post their jobs, users use it for free, and they apply to those jobs. And that could easily be 2 million monthly users right now, and it wouldn't require any additional engineers on the team. But what does require more engineering power, you know, the reason why we're now hiring is because we want to improve what we have. You know, I am not satisfied with what we have, and I knowing myself, I'll probably never be fully satisfied with what we do. I think having that chip on the shoulder and, you know, that feeling of uh, scrappiness and, you know, almost that feeling of inferiority in a weird way is a, a really powerful thing to lean into because I think, you know, especially because we're talking about climate change, it's important for us to not be complacent as, as founders and to always be pushing the needle further on what we can do. So yeah, when it comes to, you know, new products, like right now we're looking to integrate a bunch of AI in a, in a whole bunch of ways. And, you know, that means like we're going to need to hire up on that because, you know, like there's only so many hours in the day and we only have two people working on engineering. <laughs> yeah. Still a very lean company. Again, by structure your business model as a technical platform, essentially. And I'm very grateful, by the way, that we've been able to keep it lean. And actually, you know, I felt a lot of I'm not going to lie. I felt pretty frustrated for like the first two years when we basically weren't really making any money. You know, we kept the platform free, right? That was a critical piece to, to getting to where we are is like, you know, we just said, okay, you know, yeah, we could try to charge companies here and there, but you know what? It's probably in our best interest to just keep it free and build that market flywheel and get that flywheel spinning. And then eventually we can start monetizing that and that's what we did. But that made it really, really hard for those first two years. And so, yeah, I felt really frustrated that I knew what we're working on is not only important, but that there's a big opportunity in it. And I remember I was talking to a, a climate tech VC. Of course, I won't name their names. And this is someone also I have a lot of respect for. And, you know, we were very early on and pitching too soon. And he was like, I don't really get it. Like, what's a climate job? And I'm like, well, I mean, you're a climate VC. So like, you're investing in climate companies. So it's the jobs at those kinds of companies and beyond that too. And, you know, basically like there were very few people who were interested in the opportunity that we were pursuing from an investment perspective. And that forced us to be like super, super focused and thoughtful and lean. And I think that is a huge advantage that we have as a team that's baked into our DNA at this point. And I'm sure that the tables have now turned in terms of interest from investors. 
let me ask you a quick round of question. The first one I have is based on all the experience and all the, you know, the jobs and, and learning that you've seen in climate, what advice would you give to someone considering to transition to climate, meaning that they don't work today in climate, but it's something of, of interest to them? Yeah. Well, first off, I would let them know that they have a role to play. Really, no matter what their background is, there is a role for them. You know, we Bloomberg just ran a story, uh, I want to say a couple of weeks ago, and it's basically just looking at our data. They highlight, I mean, we gave them all the data, but, you know, they uh, try to keep it a little bit more concise, I guess, for the readers. But, you know, I would point to the top five most in-demand jobs that we see being posted in terms of volume. And, you know, having looked at now our data set is I mean, you know, it's, it's well over 50,000 jobs that have been posted over the past three years. And, and what we see is that software engineering and also sales and business development are basically tied for the top spot, followed by operations, marketing, communications, electrical engineering. And then the list just continues on from there. And it's, you know, relatively evenly distributed from that point on as well. So it's like a rainbow of opportunities for people to explore. And so right off the bat, my advice would be like, to, well, I guess it wouldn't be advice. It would be first encouragement that, you know, this is that they're making a really smart decision by thinking about doing this, because this is also a area of our economy that is growing extremely rapidly. Then advice would be to, you know, get educated on climate topics. And again, it's not required for their job, but it's going to help them navigate the landscape of opportunities for them to consider. So it, I think it's really important for people to think about like, what are they really interested in? Because this isn't just one sector. It's not just one topic or industry. It's such a wide range of amazing work opportunities that they have to consider that it, it does really help, I think, to have a bit of educational background or, you know, and that can be self-education. You know, if you're a, a real self-starter motivated person, you know, there's tons of resources out there. Even climate base, of course, is a great resource, I think, for understanding the landscape of what orgs in this space are working on. And actually, that's one of the things that we're going to be leaning even more deeply into is thinking about how the platform itself can really be much more of an educational resource, because we already know that people use climate base just to browse different organizations to kind of get educated on the lay of the land. So yeah, you know, gaining like, yeah, getting educated, building up your climate literacy is definitely an important thing. And just as important, I would say, is around building your network in the space. Most people who are transitioning into this space don't know a ton of people who are working in it. And I think that can feel not only a little intimidating and lonely, but I think it just adds to this feeling that I think many climate job seekers have of kind of like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Imposter syndrome. You know, I think a lot of people that are considering this even immediately feel this kind of sense of imposter syndrome because, you know, they don't have an education in climate. So, yeah. So, you know, building your network while also building your educational background is so important because especially if you're a climate job seeker, it's important for you to know that, you know, depending on the industry and depending on your role type, but, you know, often at least 50% of people generally are getting a job through someone that they know or, or professional connection that they make. So those connections, building your community is so important. And, you know, just applying cold to jobs, you know, that might work for you. But if you are really serious about making this transition, building your connections as well is incredibly valuable. And, and that is, you know, going back to like all the things that we do at Climate Base and reflecting on what I noticed as a climate job seeker myself in early 2019, 
you know, way before we did the job fair, before we did the you know, launch client base as a website, you know, it's, it's the kind of the three pillars of the pain point. It's hard to find those jobs. It's hard to build those connections. And it's hard to kind of like self-educate when it comes to climate topics. So we launched the fellowship to provide a pathway to accelerate people on those two other elements outside of just finding the jobs in terms of, you know, gaining an education and building community. So, you know, I'm not trying to plug the fellowship program too much. We do not have a shortage of applicants. So I'm definitely not trying to just use this as an opportunity to plug the fellowship, but I'm pointing to it because it really does reflect a lot of what my advice would be in general, which is around get educated and build your network. Yeah. That's a, that's a fantastic point. And you mentioned just before that, right? It's, it's knowing where to play first and having that education helps you to understand where you want to play and, and where do you want to build that network of people that, that work in that industry transition into. Evan, it's been a real pleasure talking together. I'm really fascinated by the growth trajectory that you've had with so few people today at Climate Base. And you're tackling an incredibly important challenge, right? The challenge of enabling the companies to get the talent they need to have the climate impact that we need to happen fast. And the flywheel that you have spinning now is, is incredibly strong with this community across the different programs and the newsletter and fellowship. So thank you for sharing that experience on how to scale a climate tech startup. Yeah, I really hope that Climate Tech Week San Francisco number two will be uh, even greater and better than the first one, which was already uh, terrific. I really appreciate your words of encouragement and those compliments. I still feel like we're really just getting started, to be honest. And, you know, a quarter million monthly users is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that is like, it's kind of surreal. If you told me three years ago that we'd be here today, I would have loved to known that because it would have balanced out some of the hardships uh, that I was experiencing in the first two years of Climate Base. But I really do. I mean, that is such a small, like relatively speaking to, I think, the audience of people that we know are out there that are prospective users, you know, people that would use climate base if they knew about it, you know, it is 250,000 people it is still, I think, just the tip of the iceberg. And when we look at data from Pew Research, and I mean, there's, gosh, there's so much great research out there on this now. I saw this incredible stat recently uh, from Deloitte. Deloitte put out like a climate jobs and green skills report or something a couple months ago. There was a figure that really stood out to me, which is among Gen Zs that they surveyed for this report, over 60% had already left or are planning on leaving their job due to their concerns around climate change. You know, like as in people working in a job that they don't feel like is really aligned around that. And honestly, like that, even I was shocked seeing that because that's a huge figure. So, you know, maybe in the future we can do another episode when we're really, really scaling climate base beyond where we're at right now, because I still feel like we're just getting started. Yeah. And I'd be happy to, I don't know what the right metric is, if it's a million or 10 million, but I'm sure you'll get there very fast, Evan, with the perfection that you're trying to get into the product and the, the way you're building the community. And also looking forward to the next UI and, uh, and version of the product for climate base. That will be something interesting to look at for. There's a lot to look forward to, I think, you know, especially on the product side. But, you know, thinking about next year's SF Climate Week and potentially other climate weeks. And there's a lot to do. There's a lot of work to do in this space. And I'm excited to continue working on this. It's definitely been the most fulfilling thing I've ever done with my life. And, you know, and I don't think it's because I'm the founder of the organization. I think it's because 
working in climate is a deeply fulfilling thing to do. I think it reduces climate anxiety for many people. I think it is one of the most powerful ways to feel a sense of agency in the face of a challenge that is oftentimes overwhelming for people. And I think it's a, you know, an incredible opportunity for people that are, you know, perhaps feeling stuck within a, you know, late stage capitalism society to actually be able to align their income and their working hours with their values and the work that we need to do to address climate change and, you know, <laughs> save the planet. <laughs> no, but I couldn't agree more. Like that's, you're spending so many hours of your week, you know, working on whatever topic you're working at your company. And when you're able to do that for a company and a purpose that really matters, you have a satisfaction and a drive that you cannot have for something that you actually don't care about or don't care to the same degree. So yeah, 100% aligned with you. And, and that's also what drives me every day. But so definitely we'll take you up on having this follow-up discussion once you achieve a scale number two for climate base. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Evan, for your time. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Congratulations, you finished this episode. Thank you so much for listening until the end. And if you liked it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. This is really helpful to be more visible in the rankings and to be able to keep inviting the best of climate tech entrepreneurs in this show. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you on our next episode very soon.